Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, listeners. Before we get started with this new episode, let me just remind you that Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki. And because you listen to this podcast, they're offering you a free lesson. Um, basically, italki helps you to become fluent in any language, including English. And the way this works is that uh, you can find a one-to-one language teacher to get personal attention and customized lessons to get you speaking from the very beginning. It's a convenient service. You can learn with a teacher from the comfort of your own home. There's no need to travel to class or study abroad to be immersed in a language. You can do it at home now with the internet. It's affordable. There are hundreds of teachers to choose from and you can find a teacher that fits your learning style and your budget. And also it's a very professional service. There are uh, profiles of professional teachers that you can browse and you can see you can choose a teacher based on their experience and also reviews from students like you if you check all the teachers you can see the the star ratings that they've received the number of lessons they've taught and other details about them uh, it's actually a very well presented service and it's all very professional and many many people are using it in fact there's a community of something like how many people is it five million language learners using italki to learn various languages and when you buy some talking time with italki they will send you a voucher which you can use as a free lesson basically to get uh, all the information and to get that offer go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website you're listening to luke's english podcast for more information visit teacherluke.co.uk Hello, listeners around the world. This is part two of a double episode of the Rick Thompson Report on Luke's English Podcast, in which I'm talking to my dad about Brexit. We recorded this conversation on Thursday, the 24th of January, 2019. As I said, this is part two. You should listen to part one before you listen to this. In part one, we chatted about the current Brexit situation, talking specifically about what happened with Theresa May's Brexit deal, why MPs in Parliament rejected it, what's going on now in Parliament and with Brexit generally, and what might happen next. We talked about the possibility of a no-deal Brexit, also known as crashing out of the EU, and what that might look like. We talked about the possibility of Brexit being postponed or even cancelled completely. And we talked about the possibility of a second referendum happening. We also went into some detail about the Northern Ireland backstop, also known as the Northern Ireland border problem, and various other aspects of this complicated issue. This brings us to part two. And in this part, we're going to respond to some questions from my listeners. And there are a few times when we refer to things that we said in part one. So this will all make a bit more sense to you if you listen to part one first. That's episode 573. So assuming that you've heard part one of this conversation, let's now listen to my dad's responses to a few questions from my audience 
So here is part two of this episode of the Rick Thompson Report on Luke's English Podcast. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. So I asked some of my listeners on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on my website if they had any questions about uh, Brexit. And naturally, people sent some questions in. And I've got them in a list in front of me. Uh, Not absolutely everybody's questions, but I collected as many as I could. Sometimes the questions were basically the same. So I've avoided questions that repeated um, themselves or each other. So let's go through some of these questions. Now, if you feel that we've already answered a question, you can just say, well, I think we've already dealt with that and we can move on. And of course, if you don't know, uh, you can say, I don't know, because you're I not... I have a little bell here going, bing, that means no, no, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think since we've talked already quite a lot about the situation, some of these questions may have been answered already. Well, I can answer them nice and short. Okay, yeah, that would be good. It might help to clarify things. So the first, actually, three questions come from Hero on Twitter. And uh, Hero says, I was expecting you to have another episode about Brexit with your dad. Thank you in advance. I have three questions. The first question is this. The result of the referendum in 2016 was roughly 52% uh, to 48%, actually slightly different, 51.9 to 48.1. But do you think the ratio has changed recently? We have just mentioned that. Yes, we have just mentioned that. And, and uh, you know, the commentators and analysts are saying that there are more younger people now. Some of the older people who voted last time have died off. Uh, and I, I would have thought that um, there is probably uh, a slightly different demographic and the younger people overwhelmingly want to remain in the EU. So I read on the week.co.uk uh, this week on the 21st of January. Um, here's a quote, in fact, from from the week, and it says... Britain has seen a Brexit crossover where the number of younger Remain supporters who've reached voting age, combined with older Leave voters who've died since the referendum, has wiped out the 1.3 million majority that voted in favour of leaving the EU. So apparently... That's interesting. The dem- I, I think uh, common sense says that uh, if you have more younger voters, um, then the, the chances of a Remain result are uh, increased. So... Maybe also just events and just the fact that we know more about what Brexit actually means now may have changed some people's minds. But at the same time... It, it th- may, have, may have done. I don't think it will change huge numbers of minds because people sort of fall into camps and, you know, they, they, um, they've hardened their views. But I do know one or two people have changed their minds and they have changed their minds and saying, you know, I voted leave, but I wish I hadn't. Uh, but... Uh, I think there must be very, very few people who voted to remain and then wish they voted leave. Mm. A second question from Hero is this. Theresa May's deal was rejected several days ago, but she survived the no-confidence vote. It seems to me that she was left with a heavy burden and no one else wants to be in her position. Do you think there is any possibility that she will just get angry and leave? Like, oh, I've had enough of this, I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I, I think we touched on that earlier as well. I think there's no prospect of her doing that. Um, it, it's true that she has got a heavy burden. It's a very, very difficult position. And the best thing you can say for Theresa May is that people feel sorry for her um it's not it's no reason to uh, to have a prime minister have someone you feel sorry for That's the- uh, but no she's she i don't think she would dream of of quitting she's been through a lot and she's still there and you know maybe she's determined to hold on to power because uh 
you know, I wonder what she really wants. Potentially loads of other people would love to be in her position. And, you know, in politics, power is is still very attractive to many people, even it in a situation like this. Been, there's plenty of people in the Houses of Parliament who would uh, love to be Prime Minister because it's their legacy, history, fame. And uh, I think Theresa May's legacy she wants is to be the Prime Minister who uh, took us out of the EU. Yeah. Okay. So she's trying to actually, you know, fulfill her destiny or at least trying to create a legacy for herself. Um, third question from Hero. The British Parliament is in a very difficult and complicated situation. I guess it's showing the worst side of democracy. Uh, it reminds me of the final days of ancient Athens. What do you think about it, especially in relation to the dictatorships of other countries? I think you've touched on that as well. Yes, I, I, mean, I, I think parliamentary democracy is, is right. Um, and the uh, the party system is is a difficulty in that um, it would be nice to have a kind of pure democracy where the MPs can vote issue by issue according to what their constituents want and what they think. Um, the the party system has been bust open by, by Brexit and uh, now the MPs are, are right as we speak. They're trying to find a way of finding majorities by crossing party lines. Right, okay. And then the, the point about dictatorship, I mean, I suppose maybe what Hero is getting at here is the idea, that old Churchill quote, which is that democracy is not perfect. It's kind of rubbish in many ways, but it's the least bad situation or the least bad system that we've got. That's not a direct quote from Churchill. I no. think he would have put it a lot better than that. Um, no, it probably is the least worst system, but um, it's uh, it, it has tended to serve uh, our country well in the past. And I'm glad we don't have a dictator or a uh, an active executive president. I like the system here where you have the Queen as titular head uh, with no constitutional powers and uh, Parliament decides. It's just that uh, the party system sometimes doesn't work very effectively when an issue divides the members of Parliament within the parties. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, let me go back to my questions here. Okay. So Mitz on Twitter said, Hi, Luke. I always enjoy the episodes with your dad. Smiley face. Especially on Brexit. I think that's all we talk about. No, it's not the only thing we talk about. <laughs> We've talked about other things. Here are my questions. What would be the ideal situation for the UK? Oh, oh. that's a matter of opinion. <laughs> well, we know what we think, don't we, Dad? Yeah, it, I've, I've put my cards on the table, as we say in English, and told you that uh, I don't think we should be leaving the EU at all. I think it's uh, going to be bad for the country. So for me, the ideal situation would be that uh, another referendum is voted on by the House of Commons and that there's a clear victory for remaining. Uh, and then we'd cope with the consequences after that. So that the referendum... Uh, that's what I'd like... Mm -hmm. um, would I like a second national referendum? Yes, I would. I think uh, that's better than than leaving the EU. Um, and to say having a second vote is undemocratic seems to me to be illogical. It, I mean, it, it, it's surely it's democracy if you say the situation has changed in the two and a half years. We now know what we're facing. Are you sure? Uh, do you want to do it or do you not? And I think that's democratic. Yeah, and it, I, I think if there was a second referendum, it would need to have a, a much clearer set of options on the ballot paper. And oh, it, well, we haven't talked about that, have we? People are saying, we want a second referendum. Yes, what would the questions be? Um, and some say it would be a three-question ballot. Mm -hmm. uh, the first question is, 
do do we leave the EU on the deal the government has negotiated, whatever it happens to be? B, do you want to remain? Or C, do you want to just leave with no deal? Yeah. Now, how do you decide the result of a three-way question referendum? And also, how can you be sure that people know what no deal means? Because uh, mm. there were some some polls done. Um, I'm afraid I can't remember exactly what they were, but I just saw some polls that were done uh, asking people what no deal actually means. And a lot of people, something not the majority, but some people thought that no deal Brexit meant no Brexit. Well, yes. That uh, we would stay I mean, in the EU. Well, I think a, a three-way referendum is um, is would be nuts, really, uh, because whatever the result, uh, the the one in the front probably wouldn't get more than fifty percent. Uh, it might, but the 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 point is that I think the MPs at the moment, um, quite a lot of them, are trying to find a way of ruling out no deal, yeah, uh, so that you know they can force the government. Through a through an act of parliament, really, to say we will not deal with a, leave without a deal. So, if you did then have a referendum after a new deal was negotiated in some way or another, um, the question would be the same as before: uh, Do you want to be in the EU on the, uh, or do you want to leave on the government's terms, right. on the terms of the agreement? Okay. Uh, next one is from and and as we go through these names. Uh, as I've said before on the podcast, I'm sure I'm going to be pronouncing them all wrong. So sorry in advance. Uh, Lysak Michael on Twitter said, Hello, Luke. In case of Brexit, how will England deal with Scotland, which is going to realise its right to independence? And I th- would just like to say it's not really England dealing with Scotland. It's the UK dealing with Scotland. Yes, indeed. Uh, but they're, yeah, so how... Well, the Scotland wh- issue is a really interesting one. Um, they did have a, a referendum on independence from the UK, as you will recall. And the population said, no, they wanted to stay within the UK. But the Scottish National Party, which is the ruling party in Scotland, uh, still clings to the idea that independence will come one day. And uh, only this week, Theresa May made it clear that the government would not sanction a second independence referendum in Scotland. She said that's the last thing anybody wants. So if, for some reason, Scotland decided that they, the SNP decided that they would come out a majority with another referendum and they wanted to have one, they'd have to go down the the Catalonia route and have a referendum which was declared illegal by Westminster. Um, that's a, That would be a mess. I think it's speculation to say that uh, Scotland will realise its right to independence, I think is the phrase that Lysak used. I don't know whether they will uh, want to hold another independence referendum or not. That if we leave the EU, remember Scotland voted to remain, that makes uh, it much more likely that they will try to go again for independence. And if they did become independent, they'd then apply to join the EU. It makes the Irish border issue small by comparison <laughs> between the England-Scotland border issue that might emerge from all that. It's far too early to speculate about that, and I don't think Scotland are going to go be going for an independence referendum, despite the fact that Nicola Sturgeon, their leader, uh, said she was considering this autumn as an opportune time to try again. 
they would have to do it without the permission of the UK government, which would make it uh, an illegal referendum. So there's just another mess around the corner. Mm. Yes, it's great, isn't it? Uh, wonderful. Uh, okay, so... Lysak had a couple of other questions. Uh, one of them was just about the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, and we've we have sort of talked about that. Um, but he but he also said, could your dad share his feelings about the actions of the IRA in 1972, 1974, 1982? Thank you. Um, yes, I think that's probably is worth spending a couple of minutes on. Um, why is it that uh, the Irish Republic and the British government and the EU? Uh, don't want to interfere with the Good Friday Agreement that ended those years of violent troubles uh, and leaves an open border. Um, When I was uh, working for BBC TV News many years ago, and I'm an old guy now, um, one of my – on my first day at work at Television Centre in London as Mm. what was called a news organiser, organising coverage of the UK – um, you know, a bomb went off on a tube train in London and we we uh, suffered a great deal from the mainland campaign as well as the troubles in Northern Ireland. And younger listeners might not know it or they may have forgotten that how serious it was. The Republicans in the IRA uh, in Northern Ireland wanted to force the British troops out and to somehow uh, go for United Ireland. And it was a very violent campaign. Uh, Thousands of people got killed uh, because the Protestant paramilitaries were matching the IRA for violent deeds. But the IRA moved its campaign to mainland Britain and blew up the city of London twice. Uh, They nearly managed to assassinate the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, Uh, with a bomb in the uh, conference hotel. They uh, murdered uh, one MP, Airy Neve. They murdered Prince Charles's uncle, Lord Mountbatten. They set off bombs in Manchester, Birmingham, which uh, killed 30 people. And it was a hugely long-running, violent campaign. In Northern Ireland, the border had these great uh, border checkpoints, heavily armed troops, barbed wire and everything else, and they were a target for the IRA. They would attack the border posts uh, relentlessly and attack the soldiers who were stationed there. This is the spectre of bringing back a hard border in Ireland. Uh, I I think it's almost inevitable that the elements of the IRA who've never really gone away would be back in action. And we had a bomb went off in London, Derry, just a few days ago. Um, I don't in, know whether it, people saw it on the TV. That's in but Northern it, Ireland. In Northern Ireland. Uh, it nearly killed a group of people who walked past this car bomb just before it went off. Um, the, these things can easily come back. And um, so there will be no border on the island of Ireland, that's for sure. The trouble is uh, the government hasn't worked out how to secure a border with the EU without that. Okay. There you go. There you go then. All right, let's move on. Ladislav on Facebook, he said, I'm so looking forward to this episode. I was wondering whether you were going to record uh, one. Uh, I must say that the Rick Thompson report episodes are the best alongside ones with Amber and Paul. Oh, really? I don't think I'm quite as amusing as Amber and Paul. (laughs) 
Well, you know, you've got your. Uh, th- there's value in these episodes that perhaps there isn't in the Amber and Paul episodes, but you know, so you've got the, your appeal. Of anyway, sort. thank you very much, Ladislav. I'm a fan of yours too. <laughs> the question is, how long will it take to decide what the next step is going to be? Well, we've we've obviously covered that. We, we're we're now waiting for more Commons votes on the 29th of January. The clock is ticking, and uh, well, we don't know how it's going to be resolved. But if the uh, Brexit date isn't delayed at the moment, we crash out on the 29th of March. Okay. All right. Ivan on Facebook said, what surprises me about Brexit is some split of the picture that I'm receiving. Never in my life have I heard anything positive about Brexit from articles, podcasts or media. And at the very... (laughs) Uh, well anything positive about brexit or anything negative about brexit uh he wrote never in my life have i heard anything positive about brexit from articles podcasts or media i don't know which media has been consuming and at the very same time uh whenever i speak privately with a uk citizen i ask them whether they support brexit and i keep getting answers that basically are it's complicated but yes now, I don't know what the question is there, uh, but uh, I guess that Ivan's question is about how come he gets different accounts from the people he's talking to and the media that he's consuming. Um, well, well uh, obviously, he's, he's not consuming the popular press here, which is overwhelmingly pro-Brexit. And when the judges a little while ago ruled that uh, Parliament did have to have a vote on the Brexit deal. The Daily Mail put their faces on the front page and called them enemies of the people. Here we go again. The people have decided the judges are getting in the way. There's been plenty of pro-Brexit material. More than- Obviously, the broadcasters, I think, try and balance it out all the time. If you If you're a a convinced Brexiter, you hate seeing Remainers on the telly. And if you're a convinced Remainer, you hate seeing Brexiters on the telly. But uh, I'm absolutely sure that they've, they've all had um, different views and the explanations have been very balanced. All I can say is that the broadcasters in this country uh, are under obligation, all of them, to be impartial on news. And I think they, they try very hard to do it. Um, and if you're watching Sky News or ITV or BBC News, you, you will get one side and the other side, particularly in the current affairs programmes. I don't think there's been uh, no no Brexit coverage in the media. On the contrary, the some of the newspapers, which have no uh, responsibility to be impartial, are relentless in their campaign to leave the EU. Sometimes you get this narrative, which is this, that the mainstream media is uh, pushing the idea of remaining and then the ordinary people are all about leaving and that you know there's some sort of conspiracy by m- mainstream media to push this thing called yes, the it's, European it's a, Union it's a phenomenon it, it, it's worldwide I was saying earlier how you know the populist pol- politicians claim that they know what the people want the people Donald Trump is a classic example of that you know he he campaigned on draining the swamp that was Washington. Get rid of the uh, the out of touch elite. Uh, he represents the people. Well, it's a commonly felt thing that that you know the the, uh, the elite, um, educated those in charge, the bosses of the companies and the elected MPs, are somehow uh, ill qualified to represent the people. 
it's it's happening all over the place. It's happening in Italy, and it's happened in France with Marine Le Pen saying the same thing. So, Ivan, I don't know which media you're consuming. I mean, maybe you just listen to Luke's English podcast, and on the episodes of uh, the Rick Thompson Report, you do get arguments that say Brexit's a very bad idea. And maybe if you're, I don't know, listening to some other Brexit podcast or whatever, I don't know. But there's tons of media. Uh, in fact, I would say most of the newspapers that people read in the UK, the Daily Mail, the Sun, are two of the most popular papers in the country. So if we're talking about media, certainly for the newspapers, most of them are pro-Brexit. And then in terms of the people that you're speaking to, Ivan, I don't know who you're talking to, but you will meet some people who think that uh, Brexit is a great idea. But then, you know, maybe you, you're not speaking to many other people who think it's not. Basically. The nation is, is divided, roughly 50-50, and I think the media has reflected that. Um, Ju, or maybe Julie or Julia, I'm not sure, on Facebook, wrote this. Uh, I've been waiting for a new episode of the Rick Thompson Report. I'm worried about a no deal and the consequences for EU citizens who want to stay in the UK. Do you think that there'll be a Brexit without a deal or will they postpone it? So basically, uh, we've talked about, you know, the the possibility of a Brexit with no deal. But what about EU citizens living in the UK? Do you think that uh, their situation is going to be changed? I don't. I don't think it'll it'll change very much. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Theresa May recently announced that uh, EU citizens who are resident here won't have to apply for permission to stay. Documents costing quite a lot of money, um, and one assumes that arrangements for EU citizens in the EU in Britain will be reciprocated uh, by the EU for UK citizens there. I mean, that's normally what happens. It's reciprocal arrangements. Um, we don't quite know what would happen if we crash out without a deal. Um, they are reinforcing their customs and border police as fast as possible, preparing for a no-deal Brexit. So uh, what exactly would happen, I'm not sure. But you, I'm sure you would not need a visa. And it would be a bit like if you want to come on holiday to the UK, come on in. But you uh, are not allowed to um, settle and get a job unless you, you've gone through some other process. I don't know about the people who are already settled and working uh, in the UK. Let's say if you're French and you're working as an au pair and you've been living and working in England for a couple of years, I don't know how their status is going to change. All these things need to be agreed yeah, upon. We just don't know. The uncertainty is spectacular. Yeah. So, I mean, if in the event of a no-deal Brexit, I, I suppose that the government would rather just let you stay like that rather than having to round people up and actually eject I them from the country imagine we would see that they wouldn't do that because they're, they're, they they're no one really wants that it, uh, and it would be too much uh it would be too inconvenient it'd be too much effort to actually find people and tell them to pack their bags and leave you know it's just it would be crazy so probably what would happen is you'd be obliged to do some paperwork you'd have to maybe apply for some sort of uh working visa or something which would be uh, probably sort of given to you. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, there, I mean, obviously, there's separate, separate categories. Uh, EU c citizens living and working in the UK now, uh, I think, would be secure. If you want to come come on holiday and see, uh, you know, the pageantry at Windsor Castle, that would happen. But if you wanted to be an immigrant, if you wanted to emigrate from a European country and come to the UK, that's a different thing. And they, they obviously, uh, one of the reasons people voted to leave was they thought too many people were coming in the country. 
Uh, and so uh, the government will come up with some um, scheme which says the people we want can come in, uh, but you have to have skills or you have to be in the job categories we need. I don't know. Okay. Uh, next question comes from oh by the way Jew also said by the way I've been listening to your podcast for about a year and I just love it and that was the sound of applause uh, Aritz uh, wrote this hi Rick I'm from Spain working in London what's going to happen with the pound euro exchange shall I send my savings in pounds to Spain buying euros so he wants financial advice from you Dan <laughs> I'm definitely not going to give him any financial advice um all I all I can say is that um, with all this uncertainty, the pound is still held up against the euro quite well, um, and um, we don't obviously we don't know what it's going to do. The financial markets, and that includes uh, rates of exchange, are law unto themselves. They don't tend to follow logic. Uh, so the people who are buying currencies and and uh, changing the exchange rates do it. You know they'll they'll buy pounds because they think the pounds are going up and because people are buying pounds the pound does go up uh and then people think oh i think i think i'll buy dollars now so they start buying dollars the markets kind of slosh around uh simply because people are gambling it doesn't necessarily reflect reality all the time i i think that it's a fair bet that if we left the eu with no deal the pound would suffer there's no doubt about that okay uh igor uh, on Twitter, said, could you talk about the Irish border and the backstop? I think we've done that, right? I think we have. I think we have. And also, the backstop is a difficult word. It actually comes from baseball, I think. It's yes. their safety net. If you think of it as a safety net so that if there isn't a border in Ireland, there's got to be some kind of checks between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK, but we don't know what. So it's basically a yeah, safety net, which would be, at this point, having some sort of border in the ocean between Northern Ireland and England and having some sort of soft border between Northern Ireland and Ireland, and some arrangement where people in Northern Ireland can just sort of move back and forth into the EU and out. It would be uh, like a little kind of back door that would be open just for just for people in Northern Ireland. But that would also mean that there, people would be able to trade in there or not? You know, it'd be- yeah, I think, yeah, I think the idea is that Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland act as a unit uh, you can call it an open back door, but the, there would be a door between Northern Ireland and the UK. But what's stopping people just bringing all their stuff through the border at that point? If there are no checks, why? Uh, what well, stop? They, they could. So and they in, indeed they do. A lot of people, you know, commute across that border to work. A lot of people have got family living both sides of the border. Some people even got farms that actually straddle the border. I mean, they, 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 the idea is there is no border there. But I mean, it would compromise the customs union and the free trade area, wouldn't it? Not if that's respected between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Okay. Well, another way of putting it is that Northern Ireland would stay in the customs union. Yeah. But what's so what's so bad about that? Uh, the uh, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> the the uh, the Democratic Unionist Party, the biggest party in Northern Ireland, which is uh, you know basically uh, very much uh, allied to the Conservatives because they're keeping Theresa May in power by voting with her. All nine of them, yeah. Um, they they want they are loyalists they are unionists they want northern ireland to be part of the uk forever and a day uh -huh. and they don't want it to become a united ireland 
And so the idea of Northern Ireland being sort of halfway between being with EU and halfway uh, being in the UK is absolutely out of the question. And it's not just them. I mean, the, the you know Westminster government doesn't want Northern Ireland to have a separate status, which is why they say the backstop will be temporary. But no one knows what that means either. Nobody is happy about this backstop because it's so vague. Okay. If you imagine that you are in Scotland, Scotland voted to remain in the EU. Uh, how would they feel if Northern Ireland had special status and was in the uh, in the customs union and Scotland wasn't? Yeah. So they'd say, well, if Northern Ireland have this special status, we'll have it too, please. I mean, nobody likes the idea. Okay. Um, Igor also asked about Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, is he the right person or not to lead the Labour Party in this important issue? That's just a matter of opinion. Uh, he is um, he's not the most popular uh, politician in the world, but he does have strong support uh, in you know, certain areas. But of people- I, I've got, all I can do is speak personally. Um, I, have, I have said in the past that I think he will never be the Prime Minister. I think he's unelectable because when, if it came to a general election... I don't think he would get a majority. And that's simply a personal view that I don't think he's kind of uh, managed to carry the country with him. You need to, you need to, to win a general election. You don't just appeal to your core supporters. You have to reach out to, if you like, the centre ground. And uh, I don't think Jeremy Corbyn has ever shown an inclination to do that. So you're asking me entirely personally whether I think he's uh, the, the right person uh, I think probably not yeah okay well that's not because that's not that you think he shouldn't it's just that you think that he wouldn't be able to command enough support uh, beyond his his like uh, hardcore supporters that he has yeah that, that's that's right yeah um, I don't think people should be dismayed at the idea of Jeremy Corbyn being the prime minister I mean he is demonized by the uh, popular press um, but uh, we've had a pretty rotten government for a few years, and perhaps uh, he would be a different approach. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Uh, uh, Zdenek uh, on Facebook said, if Article 50 is revoked or extended to buy more time for Brexit, isn't there a huge danger of people losing faith in politics and people wanting to take matters into their own hands, riot risks, etc.? I don't think extending Article 50 would produce riots. Um, so if it happens, um, you can say, you got that wrong, Rick. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Um, well, if it's revoked. I think that people have already lost faith in politics. But if it's revoked, meaning if, if Brexit was just cancelled, yeah, there might be a few. Uh, revoked, yeah. uh, yes. I, I was looking at extended. Right. Um, if we cancelled it and decided to stay in the EU... Uh, there would be a lot of angry people out there, but I don't know whether it, it would be um, a, a consistent civil unrest campaign because uh, I just don't don't think it would. Some people would kick off, but I don't know if it would go as far as as the the the, the riots we saw in Paris recently. I don't think it would be that bad, but who knows? Maybe it would be. Maybe people would be somehow mobilised. To, to take to the streets and, and wear yellow jackets and start kicking off and burning cars. But uh, it would probably happen a bit, but maybe not that much. And, and uh, I mean, I don't know. It's just just speculating, aren't we? But yeah, I don't reckon there would be well, that I much. Not. We, 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 
you know, we do have had some riots in the in the past with uh, poor urban areas, um, but they've been over a number of different issues. Uh, sometimes the way the police uh, treat black people has been the trigger. And in, in Paris, there is a much longer tradition of people taking to the streets, uh, which we don't have here. Yeah, um, we just... And also the issue there was I don't know, a trigger issue of the you know, big increase in tax on fuel on top of uh, people feeling that they were being neglected anyway. Yeah. And, you know, opposition to Macron's economic policies. Rioting because we're not leaving the EU seems to me to be a bit more difficult to focus people's mind. I think there would be some very angry people, but those people would probably be very angry anyway. Yeah, probably. Just I don't a- know. Just angry so all I'm the time. Sorry, we, uh, sorry, it's another I don't know answer, okay. Zanuck, but um, we'll just have to take it one step at a time and hope that um, people stay calm. He had a question about the about Northern Ireland, but we've dealt with that. A question here about Scotland. Uh, what are the chances that Scotland will leave the UK and instead join the EU if Brexit happens? In their independence referendum, they decided to stay in the UK, but nobody told them that they would have to leave Europe. Done, right? We've already talked about yeah, we it. we have done that. Um, I don't think they'll be calling a, an independence referendum this year, but it might come up sometime. Okay, question four of six questions from Zdenek. Can your dad give his predictions in percentages <laughs> of the following things happening? So uh, predictions for new referendum, people's vote. 30%. 30%, okay. <laughs> you can put money on this. Uh, general election. 25%. Okay. No deal Brexit. 45%. Wait, you said 50%. Like it just, All right, 50%. 50%. May's Since the, we've been talking, it's, it's got less it's like... It's changed. It. The, the, just, in the time, <laughs> just, just having this conversation has changed events. Um, Theresa May's deal. Theresa May's deal um, it adjusted, I would say, 60%. Okay. Civil war. And then he said, that's just a bad joke from Zdenek. He said, uh, that's just a bad joke. I'm actually heartbroken about what's happening in the UK. Yeah, I know how you feel. Um, and the fifth question, do you think Jeremy Corbyn is playing his cards right? It seems to me that he's uh, behaving a bit like Boris Johnson, speculating too much and thinking about his own career rather than the future of the UK. Shouldn't he just get over himself and campaign for Remain? The Labour Party can't really campaign for Remain because so many of their MPs were elected by constituencies who voted to leave. The party is split. Um, Corbyn is obviously hoping that in the end there will be a general election because uh, the government just can't get through this. And he would then hope that he would win it. That's their position. But, and, he's, and they're keeping their options open, which is also a second referendum. They haven't taken that off the table, but they're not actually actively calling it for it. Recently, Whether he's playing his cards right or not, I don't know, but a lot of people are saying, we don't know where Labour stands on this, and that's a position you don't want to hold too long. Okay. Question six. A lot of people are angry at the prospect of Brexit not happening. They say it would be undemocratic. Don't you think that ignoring the people's voice would not be right? On... Uh, on the on the other hand, parliamentary democracy means Parliament is the body that decides. Why should ordinary folks have such power, especially if they clearly have no clue what they're doing? So it's basically the referendum, the people's uh, voice versus the um, executive power of parliamentary democracy. 
Yeah. Well, we covered that in some detail before, and and I'm you know I'm convinced that the referendum is a bad idea, mm-hmm. and that parliamentary democracy ought to hold sway. I mean, it's ironic that, uh, according to all the information we have, the government's full of cabinet members who want to remain in the EU. Uh, if you had a free vote of MPs tomorrow, uh, they would probably vote to remain in the EU. Uh, the House of Lords, the second chamber, is in favour of remaining in the EU. The City of London is. Uh, the main manufacturing organisation, the Confederation of British Industry, doesn't want us to leave. Scotland doesn't want us to leave. Northern Ireland doesn't want us to leave. Uh, and yet we're leaving. <laughs> OK, all right. Moving on to the next question. This one is from Cowan. And you, I like this question. It says, is Brexit still a thing that's going to happen I thought it got cancelled or something or whatever. At least, at least I heard it somewhere. Um, Yes, (laughs) Uh, I I don't think uh, I don't think you heard that right. Uh, Brexit has not been cancelled, and if nothing changes, we're going to be leaving the EU on the twenty ninth of March. Okay, Chris from Mexico on Facebook said, "Will we, meaning foreign people, need a visa to enter?" Well, actually, I should I can say something. So, Chris is from Mexico. So, Chris, well, at the moment, you don't need a visa to come to the UK from Mexico as a tourist. So, I, and I don't think that's going to change because no, this is you, our relationship with Mexico and people coming from there is not going to change. So, that's got nothing to do with the EU, as far as I know. So, I think it's going to be this, it'll stay the same, I, I suppose. Uh, Mar- Marcio on Facebook said, Why did the UK government itself create this bad situation that has stopped the entire country? Well, um, a good question. I'd say ask David um, Cameron. It was down to David Cameron who made a major misjudgment and he was trying to get rid of the uh, anti-EU uh, factions in, within the Conservative Party and neutralise the new right-wing UKIP party that was taking their support away. So basically, D- David Cameron in, say, let's say, 2015 or something was going, oh, you know, the UKIP, they're a bit of a problem. They, they're stealing a lot of support and a lot of votes away from the Conservative Party. What are we going to do about this? And it's like, well, UKIP, their main issue is the European Union and they want independence from the EU. And they're ca- that's why so many people are going to, over to that side. So I know, we'll, I'll promise to the electorate that if they, before the general election, I'm going to go... Oh. Yes, he was. It was. It was in the election promises in their manifesto that he would uh, negotiate a more favourable deal for the UK and then put it to a, a referendum. Right, but the idea was that the electorate, that people would vote for the Conservatives, like people who might vote UKIP, would choose to vote Tory because it would give them the chance to vote in a referendum on Europe. So, so it's his That's way right. of, st- of making sure that people voted Conservative instead of voting UKIP. It's like, vote for us and we'll give you the right to have a referendum about Europe, which is this thing that you care about so much. And he thought that it was a gamble. He thought that, uh, that overall the referendum result would be remain. And that would then fix uh, the Conservatives' problems with UKIP. It would be like, well, UKIP, you can go away now because we had a referendum and the people decided to remain. So off you go, on your bike. And then the Conservatives would be safe again from the threat of UKIP. So it was basically David Cameron called the referendum in order to save the Conservative Party and it failed. Yes, it was uh, an irresponsible gamble. And of course, the way he's behaved since hasn't endeared him to people. Uh, he, he resigned promptly the next day after the referendum. Well, 
that's really walking away from the problem you've caused, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and he walked back inside number 10 down the street, ready to pack his bags, humming a little tune. You'll see it on YouTube, if you like. Yeah, the microphones um, pi- microphones picked up the audio and he went into Downing Street. There's an actor here who is a very popular actor in a soap opera who um, is a voice of the people kind of character from East London, though he is uh, certainly very well informed. And he, uh, he, he famously in a talk show ranted on about Cameron where is he? Where is he? Where is the geezer? He's in the south of France. He's in Nice with his trotters up. The trotters are pig's feet, and yeah. it's a London expression for your feet. With his trotters up. Where is he? No, it's where is the geezer? <laughs> where is the geezer? He's out. He's down there in the south of France. He's on. He's down there in Nice with his trotters up. <laughs> where is the geezer, the twat? He said yes. twat. Oh, yeah. on... Can you say twat on there? He Can said you say that. He said twat on live television, and people he were certainly shocked. did. Who knows about Brexit? Yeah, quite. Uh, no one's got a f-ing clue what Brexit is. Yeah, you watch Question Time. It's comedy. Well, you know clearer when Jeremy Corbyn. No, I got a clue. Policy. No one knows what it is. It's like this mad riddle that no one knows what it is. Right. So what's happened to that twat David Cameron oh. who called it on? <laughs> Let's be fair. Oh. I think what? you're referring no, to no, our no, former no, prime no, minister. No. Yeah, but why the, how comes he can scuttle off? He called all this on. Yeah. Yeah. He has no regrets. Where is it? He's in Europe, in Nice, with his trotters up, yeah? Where is the geezer? I think he should be held accountable for it. Big you know he should be held you know accountable for it. It's a valid point. A lot of people do feel... Twat. That, ...that all politicians, all politicians on Brexit have basically conspired to be incompetent at best and downright reckless at worst. And the country is now heading towards a perilous cliff and no-one really knows what's going to happen when we fall off it. So um, it became a very popular little sequence, this. So David Cameron is now widely regarded as a twat. Yeah, OK. And he wasn't in the first place, to be fair. Uh, uh, Stavtsev uh, on Facebook said, does it mean that Northern Ireland will be able to reunite with Ireland? Coup. <laughs> no, um, no. Can't see any prospect of that happening in my lifetime. But um, you know that the uh, there are quite a lot of... Um, Republicans living in Northern Ireland, um, and the population is split on on religious lines. Uh, the Republicans are overwhelmingly Catholic, and the uh, uh, the loyalists, as they call themselves, um, the Unionists, are overwhelmingly Protestant. But it's not a huge difference in in numbers. And some people say that one day um, the uh, they will actually have a majority for uniting with Ireland, but it, it will take a long time. But the thing is, at the moment, uh, Stavtsev, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing your name right or wrong, or if I'm really understanding what's going on behind your question, but it's not the case that Northern Ireland wants to reunite with Ireland and it's Westminster in London that's stopping them. That's not what's going on. It's that, you know, some people in Northern Ireland want to reunite and some people want to stay part of the UK. That's the issue. If everyone in Northern Ireland wanted, wanted uh, to reunite with Ireland, it would have it would happen. But the fact is, there's there's people on both sides of the argument living in the same place. And that's why it's an issue. And finally, we've got uh, Farshid on the website who said, what advantages does it give to Britain? So what advantages would Brexit give to Britain? Um. The uh, the people who are campaigning for us to leave the EU talk 
substantially about international trade. Um, and they, they say, uh, it, there are opportunities in the growing economies. India, China, um, uh, other places in, in the Far East and, uh, we could strike a trade deal with the United States, which would be better than the EU's deal, uh, and so on and so on. Um, they they just like the idea that we can uh, look forward at a, uh, a high-tech place uh, dealing with these growing economies. And, of course, we do have decent contacts in the old British Empire, the British Commonwealth, uh, of uh, particularly in the Asian subcontinent. Um, so that's the main argument. Uh, also, there are matters of principle they, they talk about, which is that they don't like uh, a European court uh, ruling on British laws. That's a different subject. Um, but uh, it's, it's all about we don't need the EU, we can do better on our own. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, as far as I'm concerned, Farshid, like the advantages to, to Britain, a lot of people talk about these concepts like, well, we can strike trade deals based on World Trade Organization rules. A lot of it's just kind of rhetoric and I can't actually see the benefits myself. I'm trying to find them because I would like to imagine that this is going to be a step uh, in the right direction for for my country. But in all honesty, I can't actually see many benefits and even though people talk about us striking trade deals with other countries, whenever I actually read about it or get into the details of what World Trade Organization rules actually means, um, it, it, it comes becomes clear to me that it's just kind of pie-in-the-sky, empty rhetoric. The reality of the situation is that it would suddenly devastate many aspects of our industries and agriculture and stuff in the, in the UK because there would be all these complicated issues with trade tariffs that would make it extremely difficult for us to actually get decent trade deals. It's not simple. Going to World Trade Organization rules would be uh, actually a very bad idea for well, us. That's the that's the uh, default position, that if yeah. we leave the EU without any kind of deal, we would have to trade under WTO rules, which is you know an internationally agreed tariff. We, we, for example, I think, um, I think cars and car parts – attract a 20% tax for the importer. Is that right? Uh, the, there's a whole bunch of WTO tariffs. No, the, 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 uh, the people who support Brexit say, well, that's just the starting point. We, we would negotiate separate deals bilaterally with all these different countries, and they're all uh, very keen to do wonderful deals with us. Uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada, the whole, whole, the world can then trade with us without us being told what the tariffs are by the EU. But negotiating a trade deal, as, as Luke has indicated, is a very complicated issue. And um, the EU has spent uh, the best part of 10 years trying to negotiate a trade deal with the United States, the so-called TTIP, and it's still not quite there. Uh, and one of the things that's changed since the Brexit referendum in this country is that President Trump got elected. And he's uh, a, an America first guy who is not the best person to be negotiating a deal with. Yeah, when we're in the EU, uh, we've got the, it would be the 28 member states of the EU negotiating as a bloc which is a, right. a, a much stronger position to be negotiating in. If we left that block... million people. Yeah. If we the left, biggest trading block in the world. Right. If we left that block, we'd be out on our own 
And I mean, it just makes so much more sense to be negotiating with the rest of our neighbours, and which makes us much stronger. We're stronger in numbers. It's like if you're a fish in the ocean and you're you're with a shoal of you know, a group of other fish. This is why fish swim around in groups because they're much safer and stronger in that group. As soon as you go off. You know, you're much more exposed and it's much well, harder. those are the disadvantages, Luke. Um, uh, Farshid was asking what advantages are there. I, I, well, I, I can't just, see just any. Said, well, yeah, it, it's, it's difficult to see them precisely. Yeah. And okay. then he also asked, what, what, how is this going to affect other countries? He, he's in Iran. So he's wondering how this is going to affect people in countries like Iran. Well... I don't know. It's not just trade. The European Union does have um, effectively a foreign minister and the EU tries to uh, exercise some leverage in international relations as a bloc, uh, though it's really quite difficult because different countries sometimes have uh, different interests. Um, and, Iran, you know, the UK and Iran would, would want to have a trade deal and it may be that... Um, we would have a different policy towards Iran from the EU. Um, you know, the, the stuff about boy, um, boycotting goods because of a nuclear program. It, Britain would operate independently of the EU and how it, it sort of handled diplomatic relations. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, that's pretty much the end of this I suppose, double episode of the podcast. Um, I don't know if we've managed to clarify things for you. I don't know if we've managed to clarify things for ourselves, even. Um, it's still very confusing. Um, I don't feel like I understand well, all of it. My doorbell is going. Yes. So I'm going to go and answer the door. You've got to go and answer the door. I've got to go and uh, go to the daycare centre and pick up my daughter. Dad, thank you. He's going to go and answer the door, but we'll say thank you to my dad. And, um, well, there we go. I'm going to do an outro, which I'll record later. Uh, So from my dad, I'll say thank you. Thanks, everyone. That's my dad speaking. All right? Cool. So we had to stop there, obviously, because uh, my dad had to go and answer the door. But I'd like to say thanks again to dad for his contribution to these two episodes. Thank you also to listeners for sending your questions. I didn't manage to use all the questions that I received. So apologies to anyone that I missed out. Now, there are loads of other things I'd like to talk about on this subject, but there isn't really time. I might uh, go back into it at some point. But before we go, I would like to revisit this subject of trading on WTO rules or trading on World Trade Organization rules, because this is something that you will hear from Brexiters when they talk about the prospect of us crashing out of the EU without a deal, which for some Brexiters is not a bad thing. In fact, that's what they want. And they think it would be a great opportunity, you see. So I want to talk about this a bit more. They usually say, uh, when, when the subject of crashing out of the EU comes up, you'll hear that some Brexiters will usually say, well, we can simply trade with the rest of the world using WTO rules. And I think it's worth looking at what that really means and how it's actually a very dangerous step to take. 
I mentioned in part one a Twitter user who I've been following. In fact, I've noticed lots of very well-informed users of Twitter who've been tweeting various information backed up by genuine understandings of all the technical details of things like the World Trade Organization. So anyway, this guy on Twitter is called Edwin Haywood. I mentioned him in part one. And this is what he wrote about trading on WTO terms. It's actually very interesting because not only can you learn about the reality of what that means, but you can also learn a thing or two about international trade and, for example, what tariffs are. You may have heard tariffs being mentioned in this conversation or if you've been, you know, following the Brexit debate at all, tariffs and uh, World Trade Organization rules. Well, so this is what Edwin Hayward wrote recently. You can find links to this on the page for this episode. Um, So his article is called Debunking WTO and what trading on World Trade Organization terms really means by Edwin Hayward. So these are his words, and it goes like this. As EU members, we participate in over 750 international treaties. Many relate to trade, enabling us to trade freely with the EU, the EEA, and 40-plus other countries. So because we are a member of the EU, we have access to all these international treaties that were uh, negotiated by the EU as a big block, all 28 uh, countries. Uh, The article continues, other treaties cover non-trade issues from airworthiness certificates to driver's licences, UK and EU citizens' rights, food safety, environmental protections, workers' rights, etc. On Brexit Day, we leave the EU. That means that we lose all the benefits of its treaties. Those treaties are gone in a flash, as if we'd fed them into a shredder. Now, that's not the EU being vindictive. It's just how Article 50 works. That's how the Article 50 process works. And in fact, the UK contributed to actually creating Article 50. So it's not EU vindictiveness. It's just the process. Even if we have a transition period, the treaties will already be gone, but will be shielded from the immediate shock by the transition arrangement. Right now, we share in EU trade deals with 78 countries, 22 more countries pending, meaning coming in the future. These deals cover 60.7% of all of our goods imports and 66.9% of our exports. Overnight, we'll lose them all. We'll wave goodbye to the painstaking gains of over 40 years of trade negotiations. In the absence of trade deals, we will be reduced to trading on WTO terms. WTO is a complicated system of tariffs and quotas. Now, I'm just coming away from the article here. to, to These are my words now. I just wanted to make a note about tariffs. What are tariffs? This is kind of an important word in international trade, international business, international law. So a bit of international business English for you here on Luke's English Podcast. What are trade tariffs? Well, tariffs are basically import charges. They're a bit like taxes on imports, okay? A country's government can set tariffs on goods imported into the country, okay? So, for example, if a company wants to wants to send products into the UK, it will have to pay certain charges or tariffs. Okay, who pays the tariff? Well, I've just said the company which is sending the products into that country is the one that pays the tariffs to the country, basically. So if your country produces, let's say, tennis balls, uh, 
and you want to sell them in the UK, the UK will probably have set tariffs which you have to pay when you send your tennis balls into the UK. The UK government has set tariffs on those tennis balls in order to protect the tennis ball manufacturers that we have at home. Because if it's possible to buy super cheap tennis balls from abroad, let's say it's a Chinese manufacturer of tennis balls, and we know that just because of market forces and things that they can produce tennis balls very cheaply. So, you know, in the UK, if if Chinese tennis balls flood the market and it's possible to buy super cheap tennis balls from China, then British tennis ball makers will just go out of business because they would either not be able to compete with the cheap foreign tennis balls or they would have to lower their prices to match the cheap foreign tennis balls. And basically, in either case, uh, they would go out of business, right? So the UK government sets tariffs on tennis balls to protect those British tennis ball manufacturers. So it kind of, it's like a protection, basically. So if you are a, a foreign uh, producer of tennis balls, it's not going to be that easy for you to just flood the UK market with your cheap tennis balls because you're going to have to pay certain tariffs. So it's like a, a wall that you'll have to get over, in a sense. So that's what tariffs are. They're an import charge which protects um, local manufacturers from super cheap imports, okay? All right, so they're, they're a form of protection. So that's what tariffs are. Let's now go back to the article by Edwin uh, Haywood. All right, so in the absence of trade deals, we will be reduced to trading on World Trade Organization terms. WTO is a complicated system of tariffs and quotas, plus a baseline set of rules designed to make trade a little less painful and a little smoother than it otherwise would be. WTO provides a baseline for trade, but it is the absolute minimum that all rational countries seek to improve on, right? So WTO is the base level, but every country attempts to create other agreements above or beyond WTO. That's why everyone's trying to sign trade deals all the time. The whole point of trade deals is to improve on the basic terms offered by WTO. So basically, WTO is not some sort of great alternative to being part of the European Union. It's just the absolute minimum basic stuff. It's like if you are in a city and you're offered transport options, WTO is a bit like just going everywhere on foot, okay, compared to being able to travel around with all the other means of transport that you might have access to otherwise. So in um, in trade terms, WTO can be compared to fourth division football. It's definitely a step up from just kicking a football round the park using jerseys as goalposts, but it's by no means a high standard. Let's talk about tariffs. WTO has an immensely complex schedule of tariffs running into thousands of categories. Different products attract different tariffs. For example, under WTO, cars are subject to tariffs of 10%. Tariffs are paid by importers, but of course, they then turn around and pass those extra costs onto the consumer. So in the case of my tennis ball example, if the Chinese manufacturers had had to pay the tariffs on the tennis balls, the tennis balls would naturally be more expensive. So they, they pass the, the costs onto the consumer. Right now, UK manufacturers can sell cars to the EU tariff-free. But under WTO, those cars will be subject to 10% tariffs. So if the UK is importing cars into the EU, suddenly 
will have to pay 10%, effectively making UK-made cars 10% more expensive for EU consumers. But all the major car manufacturers have, have manufacturing facilities elsewhere, including other EU countries. So if we are reduced to trading on WTO terms, they will just shift production to the EU and avoid the 10% tariffs. WTO gives us the right to control the tariffs on our imports. So we can decide what tariffs we will set on different things. And we can even reduce them to zero if we want to. Hmm. But that's when the WTO most favoured nation rule kicks in. The most favoured nation rule is possibly the most misleading expression ever invented. Because what it really means is that we're not allowed to favour one nation over another in our WTO dealings. So if, for example, if we are desperate for cabbages we can set a tariff of 0% on them. Let's say we need cabbages. We can just decide that there's a 0% tariff on cabbages. That makes them cheaper because let's say we're importing them. That makes them cheaper, which stimulates demand. So suddenly more and more people want to buy cabbages in the UK because they're so cheap. That stimulates demand and it encourages more producers to send us their cabbages because everyone's suddenly going, hey, look at the UK. They're desperate for cabbages. Let's send them loads of cabbages, right? But we can't set a tariff of 0% for just one country because of the most favoured nation rule. We can't set a tariff for just, of just 0% for one country. If we decide to drop the tariff on cabbages to 0%, that becomes our new tariff for every country in the world. So we get flooded with cabbages from the cheapest producers on the planet. That's great if you love cabbages, but it's absolutely devastating if you are a UK cabbage farmer. So you can't have it both ways. Either you shelter behind tariffs to protect domestic producers or you reduce them or cut them to zero to encourage cheap imports and destroy your local industry in the process. The rules of WTO force that trade-off for every product sector, but that's only half the picture. We have no control over other countries' import tariffs. For example, the tariffs imposed on the things UK-based producers export to them. So, for example, you know, stuff that we send out to other countries, we can't control what those tariffs are going to be if we're selling into countries in the EU, for example. If we're trading with them on WTO terms, both the EU and non-EU countries will impose whatever tariffs the WTO demands. Overnight, our exports will be more expensive. That, combined with the fact that we will no longer share common standards with the markets we export to, we're also covered by the treaties that we will have lost, that will make products manufactured in the UK significantly less competitive in the global market. And remember, it was what, like 66 or more percent of our exports going to the EU. That would suddenly be subject to WTO standards. For instance, why would any overseas customer buy a UK-made car if they can get exactly the same car from the EU or elsewhere at a lower cost? The short answer is they won't. But what if the EU were to drop their tariff on cars to 0%? That would help our car producers because our cars would no longer incur tariffs. However, most favoured nation would kick in. The EU would be forced to offer every country in the world 0% tariffs on cars. And the mere notion then is absurd. After all, the EU aren't going to leave their domestic market unprotected just to help the UK. It would be completely irrational to expect them to do that. So in practice, 
trading on WTO terms will mean that everything we make in the UK will be more expensive for overseas consumers at a stroke. Some industries may be able to reduce their production costs to offset the tariffs, but most of them will just collapse. And we will be faced with the impossible task of choosing product by product, industry by industry, which producers to protect by maintaining our own tariffs and which to throw to the wolves by cutting or eliminating our tariffs. If all the above sounds grim, that's because it is. There are no countries in the world that trade exclusively on WTO terms with other nations, none whatsoever. Even North Korea has a couple of trade facilitation agreements. We will have none, nothing at all. No country has ever torn up all its international arrangements before. And quite frankly, none of them have been crazy enough to do so. So we will be in a very, very lonely exclusive club. So if anybody tells you the UK will be okay trading on WTO terms, they either A, don't understand what that means, or B, are lying to you. For example, Patrick Minford of Economists for Brexit, a Brexiter, is on record as stating that WTO would destroy the UK car industry, but that it would be a price worth paying for the freedom afforded by Brexit. So in other words, Brexiters see manufacturers as just collateral damage to be swept aside in pursuit of Brexit. Perhaps you're not so sanguine. Perhaps you would quite like the UK to keep manufacturing things, in which case you need to take heed of just how destructive, how damaging trading on WTO terms would be. Estimates for the likely damage range from 7% to 10% of GDP. Even at the low end, that's worse than the 2008 financial crash. But unlike the crash, we would be deliberately, willingly inflicting the pain on ourselves. It's incredible, but it's true. And the result would be the return of austerity, not for a few years, but for decades or generations to come. So WTO, just say no. So I wanted to read that out because, as I said, I just wanted to kind of at least give some insight into what WTO would mean because you hear it all the time uh, from Brexiters and it's just not really an argument that stands up when you actually look at the reality of what WTO terms are. And just before we end this episode, I'd like to play you a bit of audio from a recent appearance by a man called James Dellingpole. James Dellingpole, he is um, a Brexiter. He's also an editor for Breitbart, the online newspaper. Um, He's an English writer, journalist and columnist who's written for a number of publications, including the Daily Mail, the Daily Express, the Times, the Daily Telegraph and the Spectator. He's also an executive editor for Breitbart London and has published several novels and four political books. He appeared on the political television programme this week, this week, talking about trading on WTO rules. And he's questioned by the host and by the other guests on the show. And it's just an example of how he's clueless. He doesn't really know what WTO means. And as soon as the other people on the show start to question him, his position kind of falls apart. And it's actually excruciating because you see that the that he's got no position. And uh, I mean, from his point of view, it would be a nightmare, your worst nightmare, to be on live television on a politics show and realising suddenly that you have got no argument. 
so it must have been a horrible experience for him. But this, for me, is just an example of how Brexiters will talk about WTO terms, but actually they don't really have a case. They don't really have an argument. So this is the audio from that. I'll stick the video for this on the page for this episode. When this is finished, that'll be the end of this one. Thank you for listening. I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. There'll be, there'll, uh, there won't be any politics in the next episode or two. But anyway, you can leave your comments on the website and uh, you know leave your thoughts there. That would be welcome. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I'll give you a bye-bye-bye at the end of this clip. But here is James Dellingpole struggling to talk about WTO terms on this week. Uh, this week. If we leave on WTO rules, would we then still unilaterally have zero tariffs and everything coming in from the EU the way it is now? I'm not sure. Um, I just you, know. No, I don't think you can, can you? They can't give you preferential <clears throat> because tariffs it's, because, to the UK. It's, we're going we're gonna to take a hit. So but, we would have to put hit, tariffs it's on It's a things. hit worth taking. Did you say that <coughs> during the referendum, that we're going to the, take a hit and it's a hit worth taking? I think every, everyone out there right now in the country who voted leave is not thinking... You know, what we really voted for was kind of rem- half, half in, half out. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm asking. Did you tell people that their jobs could be on the line? Did I you tell people during the campaign I that they could the campaign take a hit? No, but you're saying that you're going to take a hit as though we all take a hit. <laughs> Did you tell people that? I'm saying that you can't leave the European Union without consequences. Inevitably, like, like in a divorce, there's going to be, there's going to be question issues. As far as I understand, if we leave without a deal and then we're on WTO rules, yeah. then we cannot be given preferential treatment in terms of any tariffs. If we did leave on WTO rules, we would have to put tariffs on things coming in from Europe. Because if we didn't, if we continued tariff-free... Mm we would then have to be tariff-free to the whole world. Mm. Under your WTO rules, you can't pick and choose. Exactly. If, if, if there's no tariff in what you're giving me or exporting, exactly. there'll be no tariffs in what he's doing. Yeah. So, and if you did that, why would anybody that's, do a free trade that's, deal? That's the base position. That's the starting position. Then yeah. you negotiate from there. I mean, President Trump has already said that he's happy to give us a, a, no, a no, fantastic but, no, deal. No, let me just clarify this. If I'm, if, if, if I'm already, <laughs> if because I'm, I've given the Europeans a no, no tariff access to the British market, under your WTO rules, I have to give the Americans tariff-free access as well. Why would they need to do a free trade deal? They've got the, they've got the free trade. Um, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> well, there you go. That's it for Brexit on this podcast for a little while. We'll probably go back to things like stand-up comedy and more light-hearted subjects next time round. But anyway, thanks again for listening, and I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humor and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.